to mommy. I've got a nice juicy steak for you. Oh, that's it. Good boy. Oh, hello there. Welcome back. Allow me to introduce you to my pet puma, Reginald. I got him five years ago when he showed up at my back door when the circus came to town. Oh, I just love a rescue cat. He's such a good boy. I named him after a human flesh-eating cat in an Italian horror movie. It's called Touch of Death. Have you seen it? I highly recommend it. Nothing more enjoyable than watching a badly dubbed Italian horror movie from the 80s. So, you want your first story, do you? Well, Peter Halpin had something very creepy happen to him when he worked behind the bar. From 1998 to 2002, I worked on and off at a village pub, The Swan in Bromham, Bedfordshire, as a barman, starting part-time and going more full-time after the turn of the millennium to pay for my studying. I'd say I was competent at the job, and probably kept it for as long as I did much more for my customer services skills than my pouring and serving of the drinks. The pub was built in the 18th century, and was first used as an inn in 1798. Although it's now been refurbished to look more modern, when I worked there it was still very much the original stone walls and wooden beams visible throughout. Spotted around the walls were several lightly browned and much faded photographs of previous landlords and their families proudly gathered in the doorway, the only noticeable difference between the ages being the dirt tracks there are now fully formed roads and that they were wearing obviously very different clothes. I sometimes looked at those photographs and wondered how different the interior had become. When I started there, the locals were welcoming, but not short on inducting me with banter and trickery. There were two bars, now knocked through so it's one big space, the public bar and the back bar. The diehard locals congregated and dominated the back bar, they're harmless when you get to know them, and if you strike the balance of humour and putting them in their place just right, they're putty. And so their opening gambits in the induction was to regale me with ghost stories. I remember they told me how a previous barman was attacked late one night by ashtrays flying off shelves at him, and another was cleaning up after closing in the public bar to suddenly hear glasses smashing in the back bar. I laughed it off, of course. There were others they'd test my resolve with over time, but I'd never been a believer in the paranormal. Other hilarious pranks would be to knock on the bar top, which was the standard practice for getting bar staff's attention when wanting service, and when I came through to that side, they all ignored me and said I must have been hearing things. After some time of working at the Swan, I was given responsibility to clean up alone, while the managers went upstairs to cash up and with some of them sneak a bottle of something up there while they're at it. One night in 2001 at about 11.50pm, I'd gone round shutting and locking all the windows and doors and checking the place was empty. It was only the two bars, a kitchen and the toilets, so it didn't take long to be 100% certain nobody was left in the building except myself and the manager upstairs, and I was wiping down the bar top of the public bar side. Knock, knock loud and clear. 
unmistakably Knuckles tapping on the back bar. I'd heard it thousands of times, no exaggeration, so I knew the sound without question. I could almost place exactly whereabouts on the bar it had been knocked. I stopped wiping, and a shiver went over me. No, it quite literally cannot have been. Knock, knock. In otherwise complete silence, it came again. The walk between the two rooms from behind the bar was a narrow corridor. If you can even call it a corridor, it's more just a walk past the cellar door and the glass washer and you're there. I'd already cleaned down the back bar and turned off the lights, so it was only very vaguely lit by the streetlights outside. I slowly and quietly moved through to the other bar. There was no one. I went through the hatch from behind the bar to in front of it. Nobody hiding behind it. Nobody in the room at all. There are two doors in and out of that back bar. One goes to the front door, which is right by the door into the public bar. If you open it, it sucks the door to the public bar open a bit, which then taps itself closed. So I would have instantly heard and seen that if anyone had knocked and gone out there. The other goes to the toilets and scuffed on the carpet as you opened it. Another noise which became utterly familiar to me, as that pricked up my ears to alert me to someone entering the back bar. And it's a completely open, small room. From the bar, even in the semi-dark, you can see under all the small tables, there was, without question, nobody in the room, just seconds, probably three to four seconds after the second two knocks. And it wasn't the manager either, the stairs to their flat above the pub go up right behind the public bar where I was stood, and, like you'd expect in any place like the Swan, they creaked as if they were bemoaning every step taken on them, as if they should be long retired. For some reason, I felt I knew it was a child, or at least a young person, not an adult. There just seemed to be an air of mischief, like they were still in the room, invisible, giggling at how I couldn't see them. Still feeling the chill in my flesh and skin, I quickly finished cleaning and went home. On my next shift, I slightly reluctantly told the locals about my experience. Told you so, didn't I? came the response. And I could tell they really had been sincere. They'd just been telling me what other barmen had experienced, not trying to scare me. Thereafter, whenever I went to the cellar to change a barrel, or collect a crate of bottles, or change the gas canisters, I felt that same air. For weeks, I ignored it. That one weird knocking hadn't suddenly made me believe in the supernatural. It had been planted there, suggestive ideas put there by the stories I'd been told, and it was as though that someone knew I was telling myself they didn't exist, and they felt compelled to prove me wrong. And so they began their long-term efforts to persuade me. I would go down, change a barrel of lager, which is a very simple process of unclamping a pipe from one barrel, taking a plastic seal off a new one, and reconnecting the pipe clamp. Then go back up to pull through the liquid to serve from the new barrel. And time after time, the beer would not come through. I would go back down to the cellar, down a very rickety and steep ladder, 
to find the clamp no longer fastened. So many times. It got to the point where I would clamp it on, check it was on absolutely firmly several times, go back to the ladder, double back to the barrel, check it was still completely securely connected before going back up. And even then, sometimes I'd find it disconnected. It's obvious, you're thinking. Someone else in the pub was going down there. Well, sadly, that's not slightly feasible. To get to the cellar door, someone would have had to squeeze themselves past me behind the door. Or if they'd snuck in from the back bar, they'd still have to open a large black door right next to me, twice, once in, once out, without me seeing them on any occasion. And the outside cellar doors where the draymen deliver, that's bolted locked from the inside. But the weirdest of all was on a really busy shift. There were three of us serving on the bar, and for a bar that size, trying to serve non-stop is madness, constantly squishing into each other, into fridges, beer taps and hand wash sinks to get past each other. Opening that cellar door was a massive nuisance because it completely blocked the way through to the glass washer, the back bar and the sinks, and opening it on your way out of the cellar was a big drinks spillage just waiting to happen. So there was no way that door being opened would or could be missed by any of us. Mid-mad shift, the gas ran out. All carbonated drinks on tap were pouring flat, and there were plenty of people wanting carbonated drinks. I'm talking mainly lager and cider. Impatiently tapping their wallets on the bar to get my attention to pour for them, So, off I rush, down the rickety ladder. The gas is immediately at the foot of the ladder. Empty canister disconnected, shift the heavy new one into place, tightly connect it and twist it on, hearing the gas run through and seeing the needle on the pressure meter ping round. Back up the rickety ladder, easing open the door to make sure I didn't accidentally assault the other bar staff, and back to the drinks pouring. Simple and quick. Or at least it should have been. The drinks still ran flat. The jeers and moans went up and the accusations of me being useless went around as I dashed back down to the gas. I couldn't believe it. I think I stood there aghast at it for only a few seconds because of the furore upstairs. But the gas bottle connected to the pipe was the empty one. Not tightly either which was even more odd. The canisters hadn't moved, but the pipe had. I changed them, again, connecting the new full canister tightly to the pipe and turning the little wheel round and round till it couldn't be more on. Pressure gauge back up to its fullest and back up to the bar. All this time, nobody could serve or be served any draft drinks. They were baying at me to pour their drinks now. No gas. I went down. It was turned off. The pipe hadn't moved this time, but it was off. The needle on the pressure gauge was at zero. I turned it on, checking everything was as it should be to be on, stay on, and work properly. And went back up. No gas. Back down, turned it on again, back up. And eventually, it stayed on. But by then, I was not only a sweaty, confused mess, 
I was the most unpopular person to both customer and staff. I was inept and incapable as far as every single one of them was concerned. But I knew I'd done everything right. Except respect that air of mischief, that feeling of being accompanied in the cellar. From there on, every time I was in the cellar, I would have a chat with them, ask them how they're doing, if they're one of the children in the photographs in the bar, if they liked it when they were living there, and if they could now please stop turning things off all the time. I worked there for about a year more, and in all the time I chatted to a seemingly empty cold cellar full of beer barrels, nothing more out of the ordinary happened to me. I often wonder if the next person in my job believed it when the locals told them about my encounters, or if they also chose to call their bluff. For all the pranks and banter of those local folk and their childish games, it seems sometimes some people really do never grow up. Oh, Reggie, honestly, most people use a scoop. I have to use a shovel. Don't mind me, darlings, I'm just cleaning out the litter box. Now, I have a very special trailer to play you by a really fantastic podcast. They're called Podcasting After Dark. Clever, huh? It's two hosts, Kari and Zach, who talk about horror and sci-fi movies from the 80s and the 90s. Plus, they have really great guests on the show who have actually been a part of these movies. Trust me, you'll love it. Hey everybody, I'm Corey. And I'm Zach. And we're the hosts of Podcasting After Dark, a cast dedicated to late night horror and sci-fi of the 80s and 90s, often found on HBO and Cinemax. You know, the movies your parents didn't want you watching as a kid. You can find us every other week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, and Stitcher. This is what you want. This is what you get. So, what do we have next? (laughs) Ah, here we go. Remember when your mother told you never to talk to strangers? This happened very early in the new year in New South West Australia. I'm trying my best to remember exactly what happened in the story so it might not be completely accurate, but it's how my sister and I remember it. It was around 7.50am, and my sister and I were waiting at our bus stop, which was actually just a small grass lawn outside someone's house with only a tree to cover us from the rain. It was only lightly sprinkling that morning, but we still stood as close to the tree as we could. But suddenly, a meek, middle-aged woman, holding a bag, started walking over to us. She had long, thin, wiry, brown-reddish hair, and her face was quite long and wrinkled. She was standing at our mailbox and crossed the road over to us. My sister and I didn't say anything, but we both gave each other a concerned look. The lady raised so many red flags, 
but we knew we couldn't just walk away or go home. I went on to the other side of my sister, which was facing towards her, but I didn't say anything. She finally stood next to me and put her tiny bag on the wet grass. Does this bus go to Mossvale? She asked me. My sister and I both said yes in unison. I could feel our voices were a little shaky. Her mouth hardly moved when she spoke, and her tiny dark eyes were unblinking. She turned back around to face the road, her mouth hanging wide open. I was trying hard not to look at her, and I could still see her in my peripheral vision. She still hadn't blinked once. She asked us, What school do you two go to, huh? I opened my mouth, but my sister quickly told her a school that wasn't ours. She didn't want to give her any information, I guessed. Without even looking at us, she said, Oh, the uniform has changed a lot, eh? We didn't say anything, but she turned and gave us a disgusting smile. Her teeth were all wonky and brownish yellow. I stood a little way away from her, but I could smell her breath from where I was. It was putrid. She turned back to face the road and suddenly looked straight down at her feet. Then, something really weird happened. Her upper body just hung limp and she was hunched forward and her hair covering her face and her thin arms were hanging in her bag. She gave a little giggle that sounded like a hiccup and then she started slightly swaying back and forth all while giving out a long, drawn-out grunt moan. It sounded like a... sound. She carried on with those sounds for a long time. My sister and I were scared shitless, and we didn't know what to do. We were just hoping the bus would arrive soon. It started raining harder, and the woman suddenly whipped her head back, and her eyes closed, but her mouth hung limp. She was facing the sky, and rain was falling hard on her face. Then, she started inching towards us. She tried to discreetly shuffle her left leg towards me, but it was obvious what she was doing. I looked at my sister and she looked worried. The lady kept facing the sky with her eyes closed. We moved past the tree to keep as far a distance as we could from her, but she kept moving towards us. She looked like a zombie. She finally brought her head down, and water dripped down off her face and soaked her dirty old shirt. She turned her head to face us, but her eyes were still tightly closed. We were just praying that the bus would come. We could hear the bus approaching from around the corner, and the woman stopped moving towards us, but just gave us a forced smile. The bus came, and she turned forward, looking as normal as she could manage. We both got on the bus as quick as we could and took seats that were about four away from the front. The woman slowly shuffled up the stairs and asked the driver something, but I can't remember what it was. She sat down on the seat behind the driver and swung her head on the back rest hanging over the top and wetting the kids that sat behind her. She stayed like that the whole way until we arrived at our bus stop and got off. We haven't seen her since. Hi, I'm Corey, and this is my story. I'm a believer in everything except Flat Earth. I love cryptids, 
aliens, the Fae, and everything in between. Sadly, like a lot of believers, I never really experience anything. Unfortunately, I have a terrible memory, but this happened about two years ago in Los Angeles, so I'm afraid I have no seasonal temperature to use as reference, but it was somewhere in 2018. I was living with my wife Myra in Los Angeles. I was absolutely miserable as an Uber driver and very recently diving headfirst into the occult. It was a very hard yet amazingly strange time in my life. My wife and I lived in a typical North Hollywood one-bedroom apartment complex surrounded on a busy street by other buildings. The front door leads you right into the living room, dining room area. You turn right to go into a small kitchen, then to the right of it is our bathroom hallway and a tiny bedroom. Before I tell you what happened, I have to emphasize that I rarely remember my dreams. We're talking maybe five times a year I'll remember anything at all, and they always feel like dreams, real at first, but quickly fade. This has been the case my entire life. So that night, I woke up, presumably to go pee, I have a small bladder, around what I thought was 3 to 4 a.m., judging by how tired I felt, but it was daylight out. Now that I think about it, it wasn't really daylight because then I'd see variations in the intensity of the light coming through the trees or bouncing off of other buildings, but this was like every window had a giant movie light against it shooting sunlight right in through the curtains. I walked out of my bedroom, but instead of going to the bathroom, I walked into the kitchen to my left because I was wondering why it was so clearly noon but my wife and I were still asleep. I walked through the kitchen and I was walking into the living room where I saw it. First, I only saw its ear as I rounded the corner. It was green and pointy, like a gremlin in the movie Gremlins, but it was also about five feet off the ground. As more of the creature came into view, I only saw the upper right portion of its body and face, but my mind filled in the missing pieces as, this is a five foot tall gremlin from the movie Gremlins. I do think it was green in color and hairless. My first conscious thought was, why is there a too tall animatronic gremlin in my living room? Then its eyes looked at me and that shocked me. I can remember how they moved too alive. They were yellow and piercing. In fact, my next thought was, that's not an animatronic gremlin at all. And I woke up in my dark bedroom, utterly terrified. Keep in mind, the time it took me to walk around the corner and see it, and then wake up, was seconds. It's slow motion in my memory, but at the time it must have been very fast. I believe it was looking at my own reflection in my TV that was against the wall it was staring at. I seemed to startle it as much as it startled me, and I got a vibe of, great, now I have to deal with this guy from it. When I think back, yeah, it scared the hell out of me. I believe it might have been a screen memory for an alien or a DMT-type entity. I don't believe it was there for me, and I'm not sure my body was actually awake, but I know it wasn't a dream. I could feel the coolness of the tiles under my feet and everything happened in real time as opposed to dream logic time jumps. It was real. It really was terrifying, but also validated everything I believe. The world's a strange place.
Let's keep it that way. Yes, yes, Reginald. You love a good brush, don't you? Ooh, yes. Of course I have to use a garden rake, but he loves it, don't you, baby? So, let's have a look at some more of your reviews. The first one is from Ratpack666. I love this podcast. Real-life ghost stories wrapped up with a classic-sounding horror host. This podcast is a lot of fun, and I highly recommend it. Well, thank you, Ratpack666. That's very sweet of you. The next one is from Emmer Strange Buds. Well, what is wrong with your buds, Emmer? I'm eagerly awaiting the next episode. This is a really fun paranormal podcast, and Deadly Debbie is hysterical. Can't wait for more. Well, yes, I suppose I can be. Thank you, Emmer. And the next one is from Dr. Jev. What exactly are you a doctor in, Jev? He said, loving this podcast, well put together and smoothly executed by the host. Some of the stories legit made the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. The truth is out there. That's right, Dr. Jev, it certainly is. Thank you very much for your review. And we'll be reading out more of them next week, so keep them coming in, people. And darlings, do send your strange but true creepy stories into me at my email address, which is deadlydebbie at mail.com. Now I'm off for a long, hot soak. I've just ran myself a nice bath. No, 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 Reginald, that's not for you to drink, bad boy!